I'm going to invite Dale up to come and speak. Dale, if you don't know, he's part of the Newground uh, core team. Newground is a, a kind of church network that we belong to. Uh, we, as elders, we're really heavily involved in Newground as well, and we love it. It's so important that we're part of this kind of apostolic movement, and so we really enjoy being part of it. Dale is part of the core team. Dale has also been a real friend um, and brother to the church for a couple of years, number of years. I don't want to give away age. Many, many years? Yeah, something like that. Um, many years. So Dale has been a great friend, walked closely with us multiple times, and he does feed into our eldership team as well. So I'm going to just invite Dale up to preach. I'm going to pray for him. Beautiful. In that kind of way. Great. Heavenly Father, I just pray with Dale that right now you use him for your glory. Holy Spirit, speak for him. Maybe that you are seen through whatever he wants to share what he wants to share today, we pray in your holy name. Amen. Great. Brilliant. Thank you, Jeez, for that. Let me say, am I on? Can you hear me? Good. Lovely to see you. I don't know how many years I've been coming. I do remember one of the first times I came, you still faced that way and had the overhead projector over there. Does anyone remember that? Okay, a few hands. Bless you. Yeah, we remember those days. Uh, uh, it's great to be here. When Jeeves said, you know, if it was a Hope Church speaker, you know, we perhaps would have carried on. I thought, well, I'm on a loser, really, there, aren't I? Uh, straight away. But it is great to be here. Jane and I, my wife is here as well, Jane. We're very buoyed today because uh, we've been doing a healthy eating thing since January. And Jane's been eating more healthily than me. Uh, but it's involved lots of vegetables and green stuff and things like that. But Friday, we went out for a meal. It was the best meal I'd ever had. I, I was reminded about it because of that song we spoke about, you know, walking on the streets of gold in heaven. I was thinking there's going to be a feast in heaven. And actually, I was thinking the best meal I've ever had, I had on Friday, it was 11 courses. Wow. 11 courses. And, uh, but I tell you, it's going to be nothing compared to what we have in heaven. Yeah. I'm holding on to that belief anyway. Uh, it's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, church. Uh, and just in terms of new ground, as Jeeve said, uh, I work for new ground. And we wanted to thank you for your support, your prayers your financial giving, the way you get involved in helping out different things, running different things. So just want to say, first of all, thank you. This morning, I want to talk to us uh, on the subject of family. And really what I want to do is tell you something of my own story, my own testimony. But I hope that through it, it will remind you of your story and your testimony if you're a Christian here this morning. And stuff I say, hopefully, you'll be able to uh, kind of, it will spark something in you that will remind you of what God has done. So let me just pray for us, then I'll start. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. Thank you for the, this morning. Thank you that we've been able to gather, worship. Thank you that uh, we've just got caught a glimpse of who you are again. Lord, that what it will be like in heaven when we're before you worshipping. No more tears, no more suffering, no more sadness. With you forever. A feast beyond all feasts. Worship times beyond all worship times. Lord, and that's only what you've said. You've also said, no eye has seen, no mind have, has even conceived of the things that you have for us, planned for us. So, Lord, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for reminding us of that. Lord, I also want to thank you that you saved us. And I pray this morning by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would focus us once again on that amazing fact that we are part of your family. So, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you come, touch our hearts Lord, touch our hearts. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Okay, well, let me just talk. I want to talk about God's family. I want to talk about church family. I want to talk about the wider family. So let me start by telling about God's, talking about God's family. Let me just start by sharing something of my own story with you. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, in fact, growing up, I didn't know anybody who was a Christian. I didn't know anybody who went to church. The only time under the age of, I think, 14 when I went to church was when they asked me to carry the flag at the Boy Scouts uh, parade service they were having at church. I was a Boy Scout, little cap, little woggle toggle scarf thing. And they said on Sunday morning at the church in the hall we meet in, there's a parade service. Can you go? Can you carry the flag? So I said, yeah, all right. So I went on the Sunday morning. I carried the flag. I went in at the back. I stood there. And to be honest with you, it was the most boring thing that I had ever done. I didn't understand what they were doing. I didn't understand what the person at the front was talking about. I just went. I stood there. I carried my flag and I went home. That was my only experience of church while I was growing up. But in my first year of secondary school, my parents sent me on a two-week camp in Norfolk during the summer holidays. And it was run by Christians, but that's not why they sent us there. They sent me and my brother there because it was cheap childcare. It was two weeks away for a very reasonable price. Both my parents worked, and some of the teachers from school helped to run it. And my older brother, uh, he'd been like, the, you know, he got to school, obviously secondary school before me. He'd been, and when he came back, we went and picked him up from the train station, and he had armfuls of chocolate. And when I said to him, how did you get that chocolate? He said, they give chocolate for prizes for doing stuff, like winning the football and, and tidying your tent and whatever else. And I thought to myself, I am going to go to that camp and I am going to win that chocolate. And so I got to go when I was in year seven and uh, uh, I'd go. And what would happen was in the morning, you'd have breakfast and someone would tell you a story about Jesus. And then in the day, you'd swim and play football and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And then in the evening, you'd go down to this tent at the bottom of this field, there'd be someone there bashing out a few hymns on a piano, and you'd sing about Jesus, and somebody else would tell you a story about Jesus. And I've got to be honest, that like a 12-year-old boy, I was really impressed with these Christians. They were giving up their time to run this camp. I was really impressed by that. But when they spoke about Jesus, when they spoke about God and how he made the world, and how mankind had messed it up, and how Jesus came to give forgiveness and salvation, I sat there... And it all just kind of made sense to me. I didn't really have any burning questions of life. I had a happy childhood. There were no major traumas in my life. And, uh, and when I heard them talking about God, Jesus, sin, the cross, I just kind of sat there and thought, this all sounds like perfect sense to me. And so roll on a couple of years. I got to go to these camps in the summer. I was 14. I was at one of these camps. And there was one thing that was stopping me from becoming a Christian, which is what they kept saying I should do. And the one thing that stopped me was a fear that God didn't have a sense of humor. Now, I don't know why that was my impression. I don't know why it was such a big deal. Maybe that whole thing with the flag had been a bit deeper than I thought. But, and none of the people I'd, I'd met, none of the Christians I'd met at these camps, they all had good sense of humors. But there it was, I was 14, that was my hang-up. And one day we're at one of these camps and we sat underneath a kind of canvas tent. We're at the dining room table. We're all sat around these old wooden rickety tables having lunch. And I was sat there telling God quietly in my head uh, that, that the problem was that, that, that he didn't really have a good enough sense of humor. And that was the problem. And, and really, uh, you know, that was the issue. 
And as I was actually telling God about his perceived lack of humor, I looked down at the table in front and I noticed that in front of me was my mate and in front of him was a beaker of water. And I thought to myself, if I bash the table and knock it across, the beaker of water is going to fall onto his lap. Now, as a 14-year-old boy, this was heaven to me. And so, what I did was, I stopped talking to God, and I looked down, and I bashed the side of the trestle table. And the wooden table literally moved across, and the beaker, the glass of water in front of him, moved across the table and fell into his lap. And he started to scream and shout and all that malarkey. And I thought, absolutely fantastic. I'm laughing away. (laughs) And suddenly I hear a voice in my head that says, watch this. And I'm listening to my friend who's shouting and screaming, and my eyes get drawn to the jug of water that was sat in the middle of the wooden table. And as I'm focusing on it, the table, as I've whacked it that way, begins to move back towards me. And the jug of water that's in the middle of the table begins to move slowly across until it gets to the edge of the table and falls right in my lap and soaks me. I stand up and I start to walk. I start to walk down to the toilets. I don't know why. My tent was over that way and the toilets were that way. But I start to walk to the toilets and I can hear God laughing. (laughs) And he's he's not laughing like a malicious, horrible laugh. He's laughing like the kind of laugh that a 14-year-old boy that did a prank on a friend that got backfired could understand. And I realized in that moment that God has got a sense of humor. And God is able to do whatever he wants because he could make that jug move across as he wanted to. I went to the loos. I got to the loos and thought, why am I at the loos? I got to my tent, changed my trousers. 30 minutes later, I was kneeling in the mud in the fridge tent giving my life to Jesus. I didn't know much. I didn't understand everything, but I, got, I knew enough to get saved. I knew enough about the sin, cross, forgiveness, Jesus. Genuinely asked him to forgive me, be the Lord of my life. And the key thing that happened for me in that instant was this deep conviction that God was now my father. I am now his son, and nothing is going to change that forever. That was why Jesus suffered on the cross. It was to make me God's son and to bring me into his family. And I, at the time, I imagined that every Christian had the same kind of deep-rooted conviction that I had in the moment they got saved. But having been involved in pastoral ministry for 20 years, I know that's not the case. And I've met lots of Christians who struggle in different ways to relate to God as Father. And if that's you this morning, I just want to say my heart goes out to you genuinely. But I just want you to understand that for me as a 14-year-old boy, that was the defining moment. That was the defining thing that happened in that defining moment. So much so that I went home a few days later and told my dad, who had no real understanding of Christianity, is not saved, I went home and told him that although he'd always be my dad, that God is now my dad as well. And I wasn't trying to be funny, and I wasn't trying to put his nose out of joint, it's just that's how I best understood becoming a Christian. I'm now part of God's family as his son. And I want to say, if you're a Christian here this morning, I still think this is one of the deepest, most profound ways of understanding the reality of what's happened 
to you. You are now a child of God. You're now his son, his daughter. God is now your father. Jesus suffered on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. But the reason he wanted our sins to be forgiven was so that we could be adopted into his family. Let me give you some Bible verses. How about this for John 1, 12 to 13? Yet to all who did receive him, like me as a 14-year-old boy kneeling in the mud, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. See, the cross was a means to an end. The means was Jesus laying down his life as a substitute to pay the price we couldn't pay. But the end, the result, was that we could be forgiven of the sin that separated us from God. And once that sin had been dealt with and removed, we could become his children. Staggering. It's mind-blowing. If you take just a moment to think about it. Now, some Christians have got a very dramatic testimony. That is my testimony. It's not very dramatic, is it? But some Christians have got a very dramatic testimony. The story of how they became Christians. Maybe they were violent, drug-dealing, gun-toting, alcoholic, God-hating people who suddenly get saved on the floor of the prison that they're locked up in. I mean, I love those kind of stories. I love hearing those kind of testimonies. But mine is nothing like that. And I know lots of Christians whose testimony doesn't seem very dramatic. And I've heard lots of them kind of, kind of wish that their stories were more dramatic. Even maybe look down on their own story. Because it doesn't feel very dramatic. But let me tell you, wherever you think your testimony story is on the dramatic scale, it's amazing. It's a miracle. It's the thing that actually defines who you and I are now. Because God does not compare between one or the other. The key thing is not what happened before we got saved or even how we got saved, because all the glory for that goes to God anyway. The amazing thing is that we are now saved. And if you're a Christian here this morning, no matter how you gave your life to Jesus, that moment, everything changed for you. Whether you fully understood that or not, because at that moment, like for me when I was 14 kneeling in the mud, at that moment when we became his sons and daughters, our place in God's big story just got changed forever. Just got changed forever. Just recently I've been stirred again to remember the vital importance of understanding that I'm not the main character in the story of life. I'm not even the main character in the story of my life. God is the main character in the story of life. And he's actually the main character in the story of my life. Truth is, I'm actually part of or a character in his story. History is what we call it. It wasn't like the world began when I was born like everything was just there, like a stage waiting for me. Dale Barlow, the principal actor, has now arrived on the stage of the world. It's not even that at some point in the grand story of my life, I, I invited Jesus in. 
And now he gets a part in my story. And yet sometimes I think that is how we can think. We don't mean to, but I think sometimes we default to it. God's story is the big story. His story is history. Humanity's part in it didn't even begin until he created us. So the Bible in Genesis 1 doesn't start with us, but it starts with God. It says, in the beginning. And it starts with him making the heavens, the earth, and lots of other things, and then making men and women. God's story began way before he made us. The Bible, if you like, begins at the point when he made us, but it wasn't like that's when his story started. God's story started in eternity past, and you can work out how long ago that is. We are part of God's story, not the other way round. God's big story was already happening, unfolding, before he made us. Then he made us, and so men and women became part of his story. Long before Idao Barlow was born or born again, When you think about it, before I was born even, the part where he made us, the part where humans sinned, the part where God called a people to be is, the part where Jesus died on the cross so that God could reconcile people, all that had already happened. And then some 2,000 years later, I was born. I mean, how can I be the main character in any story? I was born into God's already unfolding, ongoing big story. And I think it's so important to remember that, to accept that, to understand that. Because when I look around, I see so many people that are trying to make their mark, trying to be a success, trying to do, carve out, or they're trying to, and I think it's because they don't understand. They just view their life as being the moment I begin breathing to the moment I stop breathing. They don't realize that our lives only make sense when we put it as part of God's big story. If you go to a film and you arrive an hour late, there's a few things you need to know. You need to know what's happened in the first part of the hour to make sense of the rest of the story. And secondly, you can't change what's happened in the first part of the story just because you weren't there to see it. And in the same way, our lives, our stories are actually part of God's big story that he's already unfolding. In fact, the truth is, Before we even get saved, before we become Christians, we are part of God's big story. It's just our part is not very good. The part we have is as enemies. Is of those who are separated from God. Is of those who are not part of God's family. Just think, there's a day when you and I woke up and we were not part of God's family. We were not his children. We were outside his family. The Bible says his anger was on us. His wrath, we were separated from him because of our sin but at some point during that day for me when I was 14 kneeling in that muddy freezer tent we asked his forgiveness we put our faith in him we said that we believed that his suffering on the cross was enough for all our sins to be forgiven and when we went to bed that night we were his children we've been forgiven we've been adopted We were sons and daughters. We were part of his family. We had our names written in his book of life. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven from you. We had in that moment a place in his family, a place in his heart, a place in his heaven. And in that moment, when you give your life to Jesus, for me, when I was 14, kneeling in that freezer tent, in that moment, his Holy Spirit came to live inside of us and in fact said, I will stay living inside of you until the day when you stop breathing. And when you stop breathing, you will go to be with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in heaven. That's what happened. So please don't tell me that your salvation story isn't dramatic enough. It can't get less dramatic than mine. Mine revolves around a beaker full of water. Because what happens at the moment when anyone gives their life to Jesus is an amazing, incredible, awesome, life-changing, destiny-shaping, defining moment. Because in that moment, you just got adopted into God's family. And you can't be adopted into God's family without it changing everything. But it is easy to forget. It's easy to become over-familiar with it. Easy in the concerns and the busyness and the trials and worries of life to fail to appreciate who we have now become. But please, I want to just encourage you this morning. Never forget that our salvation is the most amazing thing that has ever happened to us. I don't care what you can do that is possible to do on this earth from an 11-course meal to playing football for your favorite football club to walking on the moon. If you are a Christian, the most amazing thing that has or will ever happen to you is that moment. We became children of God, adopted into his family forever, and everything that we now do in life has to be viewed through the lens of, through the reality of being part of God's family. So I want to ask you, what about you? How were you saved? How was it that God spoke to you? Probably wasn't a beaker and a jar of water and a rickety table, but it would have been something. Would have been something when God convinced you, when he spoke to you, when he revealed himself to you, when he answered your question in a unique way. I was reading this morning Psalm 51, where the psalmist says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And maybe this morning, God wants to restore to some of us the joy of our salvation. That this is the defining moment of our lives. So that's God's family. That's what God has done. But actually, I want to go on a little bit and think about church family. Because having adopted us into his family, he then places us into this thing that we call church. He, he places us as adopted sons and daughters into this thing that we call a local church family. Because church at root is a gathering together by God of his adopted sons and daughters, that they might be a family together, brothers and sisters doing life together with one Father and one Lord. One family at one time and place on earth, but actually happening right the way across the world and happening right the way down through the generations. Again, I want to share with you something of my own story. I said I got saved at the age of 14 at these summer camps, which were great, but they only happened two weeks a year. So for the first two years I was a Christian, I read my Bible a bit. I walked around talking to God in my head because I didn't want people to think that I'd gone completely mad. I didn't know any other Christians. I didn't know anything about church. The only time I met with other Christians was for two weeks 
in the summer. And I don't know, but if you're, you know, 14, 15, 16, that's not great, is it? You wouldn't recommend that as the youth work, would you, Jeeves? That wouldn't be good, would it? But God looked after me. And, and God looked after me, and I was 16, and I was at one of these camps. And a guy asked me, he was talking to me, one of the leaders, and he asked me, he said, what church do you go to? And I must have looked pretty shocked. I, I, I hadn't even thought about it. What church do you go to? I said, I don't. And he looked at me a bit sternly. He said, why not? I said, no one told me I had to. And then he looked a bit shocked. And it's like we started the conversation again. And I wasn't being funny and neither was he. And he said to me, I can't believe this. He said, where do you live? I said, oh, well, just outside London, South London, near Croydon. And he ummed and ahed a bit and he said, uh, is Pearly anywhere near you? I said, oh, it's about 20 minutes down the road. He said, this is what he said. He said, I've got a mate. He used to go to a church in Pearly called Pearly Baptist Church. He don't go there anymore, but he used to. Why don't you go there? It's not much of a recommendation, is it? <laughs> and, but I got home. I jumped on the bus. There's no sat-nav in those days. I remember getting off the bus, looking around, asked the first person I came to, excuse me, do you know where Pearly Baptist Church is? I had no idea. No Google. I mean, I didn't know. So someone showed me where it was. It's up that road, turn right. So I'm standing outside this church. It's all locked up. I knock on the door, nothing. Ring the bell, nothing. Fantastic. I look on the notice board. There's a notice that says, all these notices, and then it says, seller youth, 8 p.m. Thursday. I think, right, I'll come on Thursday at 8 p.m. then. I turn up 8 p.m. on Thursday. Again, all the doors locked. I can't get in. Nowhere. Get. Finally, I find one door that's open. I walk into this church. I look around. No idea. I'm, I'm literally walking around the hall. Oh, very nice. Look at that. Oh, another hall. I'm just walking around. No alarms, anything. No idea. No one there. I see a door. By a I open the door, and there's a staircase going down. I think, ah, oh, cellar. Maybe they're meeting downstairs. So I go downstairs, come to another door. A lot of doors in this, but a lot another door. I can hear talking behind it. So I think, well, I'll blow this one. And I knock on the door, open the door, and walk in. There's three adult leaders sat there. There's about 20 young people sat opposite them. And the guy literally stops talking and looks at me. He looks shocked, like that other guy, and says, yeah, hello. C can we help you? I say, oh, my name's Dale Barlow. I'm a Christian. I've come to join your youth group. And then sat down. And then he looks shocked, to be honest with you. That's exactly how it happened. Seemed to be completely random. This guy from the camp used to know a friend, church vaguely near me, me turned up. But you know what? The truth is this. God was directing me. My father God was carefully directing me into the church family he wanted me to be part of. Because I stayed at that youth group right through my teenage years. For the first time, I got to know adult Christians who discipled me, talked to me, prayed for me, opened my house so I could go and stand outside it and have a cigarette on a Sunday night. Took us away for weekends. I joined the youth group. I started going to the church. And week by week, I learned about the Holy Spirit, learned about sin, learned about the church, learned about Jesus. Through that youth group, I made friends with Christians who are my age. And we've kind of done life together for the last 35 years. Gone through teenage life and kids and getting married. Through joining that youth group, I met Jane a couple of years later. She got saved. We got married. Got three wonderful children, 30 years of marriage and a grandchild on the way. All that, my life kind of in that sense had its roots in God, seemingly haphazard, seemingly unseen, guiding me into this local church family, which he knew that he would use to teach me, to guide me, to bless me, to encourage me, to challenge me through my brothers and sisters in that church. And when I think about the church that I've been part of in Oxford for the last 20 years, what a blessing 
They've been to me, how different ones have encouraged us and prayed for us. This incredible thing called the church family. I think it's an incredible thing that God would get his adopted kids together and say, come on, I want you to do life together. And I know sometimes people in church get things wrong because they're not perfect, like none of us are perfect. And I know sometimes leaders can get things wrong and sometimes that causes hurt because they're not perfect. And I know sometimes it's easy to get a bit fed up with church, sometimes get a bit tired, maybe a bit disappointed, maybe a bit cynical. Maybe we start to treat church a bit like a consumer. We start to ask the question, but what do I get out of it? Can I just say, that is all complete rubbish. Please do not think like that. Church at family, at heart, is God getting his kids together to do life. And the truth is this, I shouldn't be part of it. I'm only part of it by the grace of God. And here's the other thing. You shouldn't be part of it. Because you're only part of it by the grace of God. When God saves people like you and me, he doesn't just want us to, to understand the concept of family, that one day in heaven. No, no, he wants us to experience that in the here and now. And so he makes church families and he populates them with kids and we go on to have more kids. So why church can never be just a place that I go on a Sunday morning if I've got time, if I can be bothered, if I'm in the mood. It's a family that I'm part of. It's the family of all families. It's the tangible, living, breathing, walking, talking, hugging, laughing, crying part of God's family that by his grace he has made you and me part of. How about this? Jesus refers to his church family as his bride. Of all the terms that Jesus could have picked, he chose bride. Revelation 21, 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Jesus says, she's my beloved. She's my chosen one. I love her. I'm going to be with her forever. I'm going to lay down my life for her. She's beautiful to me. You and I might look at the church sometimes and say, mm, not sure it's very special, Lord. Jesus looks at the church and says, it's my bride that you're talking about, Dale. <laughs> you may look at the church and decide you don't really need to be part of it. You're so wrong. You need others. You need other people that are able to bless you, pray for you, challenge you, teach you, enable you to become more like Jesus. And you need to do that stuff for other people. And the reason why I say that with confidence is this, because that's how God has designed it to be. That is how God has designed it to be. Because that kind of stuff only happens in families. It only happens when you get people that are brothers and sisters, love God, love one another, that you can have that kind of stuff happen. So God's not only adopted us as children into his family, but then he places us as adopted children into his church family. And again, what about you? I don't believe any of you are sitting here by chance this morning. I believe you're here because God, sometimes obviously, sometimes behind the scenes, has been maneuvering and moving things so that you are here to be part of this church family. To bless it, to bless your brothers and sisters, to be fully part of it, to fully engage, to fully give, and to fully receive. I absolutely believe that that is what God is doing.
wider family. My time is ticking on, so I'm just going to go short on this one. But just to say that in just the same way that I believe God adopts us, puts us into local church families, I think it's good for local church families to be part of a wider church family. And that's really what New Ground is. It's a wider family of churches. And in fact, New Ground is part of a wider family of churches called New Frontiers. And I believe that's all good and healthy. Because otherwise it's easy for churches to kind of get a bit isolated. For leaders maybe to get a little bit down. Little, who do they turn to? Sometimes turns to the apostolic. You need someone that's going to come in and spur us all on to remind us to lift our heads. That there's a well to reach there. It may be difficult out there, but Jesus still wants us to go and reach it with him. So I do believe that being part of the wider family is very important. And at heart, that is what new ground is. It's good and it's right for local churches to be part of a wider family. It's why new ground, as part of New Frontiers, is not a denomination. It's not an organization. It's a family. It's a family of local churches. And local churches are a family. God's adopted children. You know, when I was looking at this thing of family, what I realized afresh is I think all this comes straight out of the heart and experience of God. Because I got to ask the question, why, God, have you gone to such lengths to adopt us as children? Why would you sacrifice your son on a cross. Jesus, why would you be willing to go to the cross in order to enable us to be adopted into your family? And I realized afresh that the tr in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they've always existed in, always been experiencing, if you like, family. Long before God made us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, existed in relationship with one another. They were, as it were, family together. In fact, God created humans. He created you and I out of the love that the Trinity had for one another. In order that having created us, we might be adopted into and experience some of that love. God didn't create human beings because he was bored or lonely or on unloved. There was nothing on Netflix that particular Saturday night. He had everything that he needed within that family, within those relationships that is and was Trinity. And yet, as an expression, an overflow of that love, he made us in order to include us into it. And I think we get demonstrations of this through the New Testament. For example, Jesus' baptism. I love the fact that the Trinity is involved. This key moment of Jesus' life, Matthew 3, verse 16 to 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Can you imagine it? Jesus is getting baptized. He doesn't need to be baptized because he hasn't done any sin. But he's getting baptized because he's going to go to the cross and hang on the cross for my sin. This is the moment. And at this moment, the Holy Spirit descends on him. Because he would, wouldn't he? 
Because the, uh, the Son is now doing something which symbolizes the whole reason why he's coming. The Holy Spirit, I'm going to be there. <laughs> and God says, this is my boy. This is my son whom I love. It's a family moment here. I think again we see it in Jesus' when he prays for us. When he prays in John 15, 16, 17, we see something of his heart for us. People like you and me to be added into this love that exists within the Trinity. John 17, verse 20 to 24. Jesus praying to God about us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they, be also, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. See how Jesus just keeps intertwining it. You love me, I love them. You gave to me, I gave to them. They may be in me. You. I mean, it's just, that's what it is. I wouldn't worry too much about the words or the Greek or the original Hebrew. Catch something of Jesus' heart. He's praying to the Father. I want Dale Barlow to be one like we are, Father, and to know the kind of love that we know, Father. That's my, that's how I, uh, you know, would, you know, think of it anyway. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. When Jesus prays to the Father, we might share in and know the love they've shared for all time. That is exactly what he wants. That is exactly why he went to the cross. That's what he's done in saving us. Once he saves us, he adds us into church families. And then he puts those church families in wider families. And one day, the end of the world will come. God will stop everything and he will gather all his children from across the world, down through the ages, and we will be with him as one big family forever. That is going to be the end. What a privilege. What a privilege. That we've been saved. That we're children of God. What a privilege that we are part of his church. What a privilege that God will put our local churches in a wider family of churches. And how amazing is it that this didn't come out of some book written, How Do You Grow a Big Church? Or how do you reach the world? Or 27 successful tips for a leader. Didn't come out of any of that. All this came out of the heart and the love that God has within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm finished. Thanks, Jesus. Wow. I think we need to respond.